It's time for the Picture House Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Simon. Please ensure that your mobile phone is switched off, refrain from smoking, and keep conversation to a minimum. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show! Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to this special mini-episode of the Picture House Podcast. I'm not actually in this episode, but I wanted to introduce our guest presenter, my esteemed colleague, Corinna Antrobus, who, for this episode, went along to the Disney Pixar Coco press day to talk about the new film with the film's director, co-director Lee Unkrich, also directed Toy Story 3 and co-directed Finding Nemo and Monsters, Inc. Uh, and the film's producer, Dala K. Anderson. And they had a lovely chat. They had a lovely old chat. Coco is in cinemas now. I hope you enjoy this podcast and I highly recommend seeing the film. I loved it. Enjoy. Hello, you're listening to the Picture House podcast with your host, Karina Antrobus. I'm here today seizing my chance with the director and producer Lee Unkrich and Dala K. Anderson of the magnificent new Disney Pixar film Coco. Coco is the wondrous story of 12-year-old Miguel with a passion for music within a music-detesting family. His one desire in life is to be just like his idol, the mid-century star Ernesto de la Croz, a swooning guitar-strumming hero voiced by Benjamin Bratt. Set in the vibrancy of Mexico under the setting of the annual Day of the Dead celebration, Coco is about remembering your family while staying true to yourself with the takeaway lesson of making the most of your opportunities. Coco's already won a Golden Globe for Best Animated Motion Picture, and I'm sure as we set into award season, we'll see it picking up even more wins and nominations, including a BAFTA for Best Animated Feature. But now, let's shoot the breeze with Pixarians who made the magic happen. Lee and Dala, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Hi. Hi. So in your own words, what is Coco about and what inspired this ingenious story? Well, Coco is a story that's set against this beautiful Mexican tradition of Dia de Muertos, the Day of the Dead, that takes place every uh, November 1st and 2nd. And it's a time where families come together and remember their loved ones who are no longer with them. In our story, Miguel is a 12-year-old boy who is an aspiring musician, but unfortunately he lives in a family that does not allow any music of any sort. So he has to practice his passion in secret. And then one year on Dia de Muertos, Miguel makes a discovery that kind of unlocks a series of events, lets him kind of go down the rabbit hole of trying to kind of straighten out a a generation's old mystery in his family. Along the way, he ends up getting himself transported to the land of the dead, where he meets his deceased relatives and has an opportunity to go off in search of his musical idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. Got that synopsis pretty, pretty <laughs> locked down. So we've got headlines such as Full of Wit, Music and Colour, A Return to Form, one of Pixar's funniest films, Pixar's most culturally specific movie in their lauded pantheon, and most importantly in the Picture House office, we've just come up with the phrase amazing. So, And we watch a lot of films, so that one really does count. Do you, do you read reviews? Are you happy with the response? I don't read reviews. I've read very. I've read a few on Coco. I try not to read them anymore because I, I think no good can come of us reading reviews. Because I feel like if they're bad reviews, then they'll mm. just make us feel bad. And if they're really good reviews, it'll pump up our egos, which is also not necessarily a good thing to have okay. happen. So we're aware of the sentiment out in the world, and you know, I know our Rotten Tomatoes score. So I know people generally really love the movie. That's good, and uh, that makes us, you know, really really happy. Yeah, and I decided not to read reviews also for the same reasons, very same reasons. And also in this film, we've gotten so much communication from everybody. So many people have emailed us directly or through social media uh, about their experiences of going to see the film with their families or mm-hmm. families 
down in Mexico, seeing the film repeatedly and so forth. So I feel like I've, got, as Lee mentioned, I've gotten the gist of the general sentiment, which is overwhelming, yeah. and we're grateful. I do read everything on Twitter. So oh. I feel like that's been a really good snapshot of how people feel about the movie all over that's the world. That's interesting, because Twitter can be quite a dangerous place sometimes as well. But if yeah, you're getting you know, positivity, that's great. It's been like 99.9% glowingly positive Brilliant. remarks from people. You get your occasional naysayers, but yeah. in general, um, people have been very kind to the movie. Yeah, and then getting emails directly is, is wonderful, yeah. especially if it's it, that shows that it's really touched someone. And yeah, we've, we've gotten handwritten letters sent uh, in the mail, which is unusual these days. People send their photos of their families and their stories and mm. who they went to the theatre with and what it meant to them, and all of that has been enormously gratifying. I was at the screening... Um, at Pitch House Central on the weekend and you came and introduced the film and you apologised for making us wait so long. Why did you make us wait so long? Well, it wasn't our choice. <laughs> um, you know, every every region that we release our movies in has their own reasons for why they pick a certain release date that they think is best for the country. And I know that there were reasons why the UK wanted to go with releasing the film now. Um, uh, I don't know all the details of their reasoning, but we've no, but always trusted them. We've always trusted them. These teams are so amazing, and they always get it right. Yeah. So we've, at, as we are, as you mentioned, we're veterans. We've gotten um, quite used to the idea of trusting our, these excellent teams and their vision. But yeah. we know that it's frustrating. <laughs> yes, we were wait. sitting there going, come but on. It's not as bad as it used to be. I mean, there was a time earlier on where, you know, you'd have to wait six months sometimes from, yeah. from yeah. the U.S. release. Yeah, yeah. that, that so window was... Squelching. This is yeah. good. Um, yeah, so I was there and there was two screenings completely packed out with giddy kids and popcorn everywhere and then just they were loving it. What I thought was interesting is there was quite a lot of scary moments in it in that you had the big panther and that was quite a scary character there. And then you've also got skeletons, which generally are quite scary. Now, I don't have kids and I don't work for the BBFC, so I don't know how to toe the line between what's scary and what's mm -hmm. adorable. How do you toe that line? Well, we're always aware that kids are going to be in our audiences, and so we, we do endeavor to make sure that there's nothing inappropriate for them. I don't think there's anything particularly scary in Coco or, uh, and, and anything that is there that's maybe borderline mm -hmm. Scary is it's no scarier than anything I think kids see on TV these days. Yeah, I mean it, there's really nothing that bad in the film. There's not like a test where you measure the no. decibel level of the screams or <laughs> pick up the tears at the end and be That'd like, be no, awful. too scary. <laughs> um, no, I mean we do have test screenings early on before the film is finished, and you know we do watch the kids in the audience and and see what they kind of respond to. But you know, I mean, Toy Story three was the same way. We had some some material in that movie that some people thought was maybe too intense for kids. But I have found in my experience that sometimes when parents feel strong emotions watching the movie, they worry for their kids. Mm -hmm. they, they assume that their kids are feeling those same strong feelings. But I think kids watch movies in a very different way than adults do. Because they're at a different place in their life and they're thinking about different things as they watch it. So I like to think our, our movies work equally well for different audiences depending on where they are in life and, and that hopefully ultimately you know everything is appropriate for for everyone I mean we wouldn't want to traumatize anyone of course I don't believe we have no. in any way some of the parents I spoke to at the end they were very thankful that everything made logistical sense and for 
their kids were at the age of just asking why to everything. <laughs> they were just so thankful that everything, they were able to explain everything. And I love the detail of things like the Department of Family Reunions. And uh, it was great to see that kind of wink to the bureaucracies that we have as adults that we have to deal with. Is that something that you consider more with this human story? Because this is more of a human story than we're used to from Pixar, isn't it? Do you take away more of the magic and put more of the practical elements to make the plot makes well, we try to have both. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true this isn't a story about toys that are alive or talking animals. But, you know, even when we're making those kinds of films like Finding Nemo, you know, that yes, they're talking fish, but they're ultimately humans. I mean, they're characters that we can relate to that have feelings the way we do. And um, so regardless of, you know, what kind of story we tell, we, we ultimately want the audience to be connected emotionally and to, to feel something as they watch the the film, but I don't think we treated Coco any differently than any other film that we've made in that regard. And there's no spoilers in this, but Coco's not the name of the lead. What's mm-hmm. the thinking behind that? Uh, I mean, we, we can talk about who Coco is. Yeah, but yeah. Coco's why is it, why the is name it of Miguel's great grandmother. And we liked that idea. We liked the sound of the name of Coco, and it's, we liked that it was kind of mysterious. And she becomes integral in the story. Yeah. I mean, I, we learned very early on in the film that Coco is Miguel's great-grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people then get a little confused, like, why is this movie named after this seemingly peripheral character? But I like that there's that tension, that people wonder how she's going to fit into it all. Mm. And then once you've seen the film and gotten to the end of it, it I think it becomes very clear to everybody that uh, what an important part she plays in everybody's lives. She's kind of the connective tissue between everybody. And so I think at that point, it it is very fitting that the movie's named after her. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Because you have this character who, although isn't necessarily around, that is the root of family and this legacy. She has a presence even when she's not on screen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Things are getting pretty real in Pixar. Um, The evolution has been quite an interesting one. So this is, like we were saying, one of the first with actual humans as opposed to talking fish. And we seem to be back in the wheelhouse of quite emotionally challenging themes. So like Up and Wally. Is that a conscious decision to start tackling more emotional human stories? Well, that's not what drove us to tell this particular story. A lot of times the themes emerge, you know, the deeper we get into the stories and we, the, 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 the film starts to tell us what it's about. We don't necessarily know at the beginning. I mean, honestly, at the beginning of this process, we just knew we wanted to tell a story set against Dia de Muertos, and we knew that themes of family were going to be very important to the film. You know, other themes start to emerge, and it was no different with Coco. I wish I could say we had some high design from the very beginning, but um, that's part of the fun of making the films, is that we we have a lot of time to let the ideas emerge. Mm -hmm. And honestly... Sometimes we finish the films and then somebody points out to us an aspect of the theme that we weren't even thinking about, Mm. but it makes perfect sense and we understand why people see it in the film. So that's always uh, interesting as well. For sure. And it's interesting what you're saying because also about themes that occur as you're going along. I mean, this film took six years to make, is Mm -hmm. that right? Mm -hmm. And obviously six years ago, we were in a much different political situation, especially in America. It feels like such a happy accident that Coco's come at this time when we need desperately these positive representations of Mexico and Latin American culture. It feels like a salve, I think. Mm. I mean, is that something that seeped into your consciousness as you were making the film? Is it something that you felt like needed to be told? I mean, in the beginning, um, it was so important to us to uh, get everything culturally correct and to get every single little tiny detail right. And to really celebrate 
Mexico and yeah. the people of Mexico. And it really does do that. And of all the reviews and all the people that I've spoken to who connect with that culture, they've just been like, spot on. Got it right. Well, thank you. And that's we really worked hard at that for a long time. And there's there's been certainly a lot of negativity put out into the world recently uh, in general, but about Mexico specifically. You know, like I just said, I, I, I hope this film is kind of a bit of a salve, you know, to maybe make people feel proud to be who they are you know, be, and proud of their culture when it's been maligned so much recently. And I think that's a testament to art, you know, that telling stories can be that, that can be healing. It can remind us that we are so much more alike than we are different, that um, that we all have families and that we all have the same basic core values. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that our art has that kind of purpose. Coco up on the big screen is an absolute treat. It's a visual feast. In this day and age where we're looking at screens getting smaller and more portable, are you thinking about that when you're making films now? Are you thinking this needs to be up on the big screen? I mean, we at Pitch House obviously love cinema. We love it. I mean, you know, if we could have our way, everyone would see movies up on a big screen with an audience around them. It's really the best way to watch movies, I think. Are you cinema diehard fans? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're willing to go into this communal experience with a bunch of other people and you're watching Coco or any film, and now you're having a once in a lifetime experience with this shared audience and every audience is different. Alchemy is different when you, what time you watched it, who you came with. In this case, we hope everyone comes with their family, whoever your family is. And uh, I think there's nothing like that kind of shared experience. And in our case, as you said, Coco is so visually stunning. There are certain films that, when they are of that ilk, just envelop you and become you become part of the story even more so. Yeah, I'm just watching it with loads of kids. I think that made it for me as well. I think it would be much a different experience. I was sitting at home on my laptop watching it. Um, and then finally, one of the details I loved about Coco was the ofrendas, mm-hmm. the things that people left behind that best represent those characters that they loved, from the food and the drink and the guitars, the mountain guitars. What would you like your family to leave on your ofrendas that best represents your character and your life and your legacy? What do you expect <laughs> oh your family to leave? <laughs> I don't know. I guess... A stack of the movies that I made would make sense. You're supposed to leave out favorite foods because the the thought is that your ancestors, your loved ones are actually coming back and it's an opportunity for them to partake of things they loved in life. And they've been on a long journey. So so... I think that I would probably have a big plate of great French fries because (laughs) I love them so. Under the food category, yeah, I would have a beautiful, dense, dark chocolate cake and a glass of red wine. (laughs) Very good, very good. So your veterans in the Pixar game, has this experience thrown up any new challenges that you haven't yet experienced in cars or monsters or? Yeah, well, every film's a new challenge. Mm. Even if it's not a technical challenge, each story is different and each story poses its own problems. And Coco was no different. You know, there were times in the early days where we were really struggling with figuring out exactly what the story should be. A lot of days of banging our heads against the table trying to figure it all out and Mm. not coming up with answers. So it was normal in that regard. This film was pretty large in scope. You know, it's a big road movie. 
Miguel's traveling through the whole movie to different locations and meeting different characters. And so that added up into a lot of different sets that we had to create. We had to create the whole land of the dead. We had to create skeletons that we'd never created before and then make thousands and thousands of them. There were lots of new challenges, but they were good challenges. And no one at Pixar wants to feel like they're repeating themselves and just phoning it in. They like to be presented with challenges that seem to be insurmountable. And then somehow we have such amazing people at the studio. They, they always seem to find a way to pull it off. Yes, it's such a journey. Yeah, and the, the Day of the Dead City looks absolutely stunning up on the big screen. Thank it's you. a real, real achievement. So well done. Thank, Thank you, you so, much. so much. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Yeah. You have been listening to the Picture House podcast, a Picture House's production brought to you by Picture House Cinemas. We would like to thank everyone who works at Picture House Cinemas and everyone who has ever attended a screening of a film at a Picture House Cinema. Thanks for listening and see you next week.